Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Josh Rubin, a writer, director, and actor whose first feature, Scare Me, starred himself and Aya Cash as writers telling each other scary stories in a cabin in the woods. It's just a great big bag of horror nerd fun, and now he's followed it up with another great take on genre tropes, Werewolves Within, which takes the Ubisoft computer game and turns it into a mashup of The Beast Must Die and Knives Out. It stars Sam Richardson, Milana Weintraub, Michaela Watkins, Harvey Guillen, friend of the show, and a lot more really entertaining people. And it's in theaters now, where theaters are operating, and available this Friday, July 2nd, on IFC Unlimited and Apple TV. It's an awful lot of fun, and you should see it. Josh picked Clive Barker's Nightbreed, the author-turned-filmmaker's 1990 tale of a man who thinks he's a serial killer and flees to a place called Midian, where he discovers an ancient society of monsters in hiding. Craig Sheffer is the tortured hero, Boone, and Bobby is Laurie, his understandably confused lover. And of course, David Cronenberg is Dr. Decker, the murderous psychotherapist who's been setting Boone up to take the blame for his own horrific crimes. Also, there are monsters. A lot of monsters. But they're the good guys, so it's okay. This is someone else's movie. I feel like we don't talk enough about Nightbreed. I feel like I don't talk enough about the swimmy feelings I got as a child watching it. Well, um, that is the first place to start, right? Like, logically, I was 22 when it came out, 21. Mm. Uh, saw it in a theater, and and at a, I think I was at a press screen. No, there, there may not have been a press screening, because that was one of those problematic movies that Fox ultimately just dumped, and, and we'll get into that whole story. But, uh, yeah, when did you, when would you have seen it? How did you come to it? Okay, I was born in 83. I'm 37. Uh, and... I, um, I definitely saw it before, I want to say before 1994 or by 1994, because I was, I was fairly, I, so I was 11 or 12 when I saw Nightbreed and, and only today or recently do I really understand or know who Clive Barker, I mean, I've known, I've known his name, but, but who he really is. Right. Um, and, um, just as like a, you know, a queer horror, um, mastermind. And so it was interesting thinking about it. Whenever I thought about this movie, I thought, wow, how tonally dreadful and how ethereal and the imagery when I was a kid, I had a tree house and the tree house spilled onto, you know, miles and miles of marsh. Um, and I always kind of thought my backyard was like, I always just kind of pictured it was Midian in a way. And then I watched it recently. I was like, my God, it's so delightfully queer. Yeah, and as a um, as a pretty straight, you know, white average male, I think it gave me the the swimmies. You know what I mean? I think I think as a as an eleven year old kid, when you don't quite know like what your sexuality is, I definitely I think I I think it had kind of a profound effect on me. You had you have creatures and genders of every shape and size, um, like living together and like sensual with each other and affectionate with each other and then you've got like the cops who are homophobic but also so clearly <laughs> yeah. so clearly touchy-feely um and sexually repressed in such an overt way it was just oh, what a bizarre thing anyway i'm just i'm thrilled that shutter put it out so that i could re-watch it so recently and go holy shit i can't <laughs> believe i watched this so young it's probably why i can't not look at men who run by and look great in their you know, um, uh, shirtless. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, I think it affected me profoundly. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I actually met 
Barker in 87, I guess. And he was like, he wasn't openly gay to my knowledge. Mm. Um, and he was writing these aggressively heterosexual horror stories. Right. Mm. But there, but if you read the books of blood, there's, there's a transgender story sort of with a curse. Mm. And there's a, there's the eroticism of the hellbound heart, which became Hellraiser, where Frank is, you know, kind of an omnisexual. And he mm. he came to Toronto to screen the unrated version of Hellraiser, which was, you know, I think they cut either 20 or 40 seconds out of the film for Ontario. And it was a really big deal. You couldn't, uh, our censorship laws were so draconian at the time that you could not physically possess the, the cut footage. David Cronenberg had to store the brood in Quebec to keep it intact because he made it here. They ordered a couple of shots cut and it had to be destroyed. So Rob Salem and and Julian Grant, who were running the bee festival arranged for him to bring in the new world print from the States. And all it is, is the shot of the skinned rat in Hellraiser when when Frank holds up the rat. Yeah. But it, it was the first time I really understood how even a single shot will change the context of an entire story because without it, he comes up to the edge of the bed and he backs away. There's no message. He chooses to show mercy, but what it is, is a threat that we don't see. And so we got to, like Barker came over and and, uh, I was covering the festival. So I ended up hanging out with him in the bar across the road and just a lovely guy. And he kept saying, like, he kept saying that there's stuff that he can't do yet. And I had no idea what he meant. And I thought it was the technology. And then I saw Nightbreed and it's like, no, he can do whatever he wants. And I think by the time Lord of Illusions came out, there was more of a context for the imagery. And like, there's a lot of BDSM Mm, imagery flying around in there. Yeah. 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 And and so suddenly it all made sense. Also, he was wearing, now I realize when he was here in 87, he was wearing a black leather jacket, a white t-shirt and jeans. And he was dressed Uh like Boone. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he clearly had a look. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, seeing Nightbreed in theatrically in 90, it was, it was an experience of being with an audience that really wanted to connect to it and couldn't, because I don't know if you remember the theatrical version, it's just an hour of monsters running around. Like the, all the texture is gone. I think that's what I, I'm pretty sure that's, that's what I grew up on. It was, it was, sure, yeah. you know, the, 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 pomp and circumstance the color and um lizard brain um synapse firing of a serial killer a regular guy you know on his motorcycle with his girl kind of a vibe and then monsters and and um but but it's still i mean there was there was still a very i guess looking back on it from what i remember of it i mean just by nature of the of the creatures and of the physical sort of um i want to say scars but of the physical traits of all of them there was something so uh uh delicate human uh and um and broken about them but also beautiful and there was a sensuality to it but i i i definitely you, you still can't just by nature of the production design and the creature design you can't get around barker's stink i mean it stinks of him but it's a shame that it's a shame that it was put through the shredder in that way. Cause I think, I think now, now that I'm, I'm realizing what the full history of it is and having watched the true director's cut, you know, not but three weeks ago when it dropped on shutter. Now I understand. Um, I, 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 I didn't get the full, you know, the, the, the full experience and I'm, I'm, I'm God, what a, what a thrill that it exists and that it's, it's unearthed. 
I was kind of wondering if maybe the cut version played better for younger audiences. Like you just overwhelmed by the imagery and left to sort it out yourself. I guess so. I mean, I can't remember much of the plot, but then again, I was, you know, 11 or 12 and did just enjoy. And I did frequently watch it, whether I had rented the movie or whether it was on HBO or Cinemax as a kid. And right. I, I'd kind of watch rewatch again and again. But um, I, I don't remember much of the plot other than, you know, he dies. He goes to this place. There are external threats and then they come to kind of, you know, um, take the take them out. Um, and, uh, in retrospect, I don't think we had the happy ending with, you know, with Aaron and Lori, you know, with, with Boone and Lori in front of, in front of Midian. I think it just kind of, it just kind of ended. I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I'd be curious to look at them, you know, back to back, but just like with all of Barker's stuff, Lord of Illusions in the mouth of madness, you do need like a cold shower and a long break. You can't do a bunch of bar. I can't do a bunch of Barker back to back. Just also, I can't do, you know, a bunch of Eli Roth back to back, not to really compare them. But, um, you know, uh, uh, I'd be curious to see what that version was. Yeah, it's a mess. Like, it's just, yeah, it feels, it's weird. I watched it again. I can't remember the, maybe when the DVD came out, if that's possible, mm. but the like the old cut. And it's just... Eh, you know, it's a yeah. it's pieces of a movie, and then I the two hour director's cut that the Screen Factory released is the, the yeah. version I'm most familiar with because I got to revisit it, and you can see it was like it was never all the way there, but it's so mm. close, and there's so mm -hmm. much more. Just the fact that he lingers on people, and there's more breathing room, and yeah, um, like there there were sense there's a sense in the in the theatrical cut that they're just pulling things out to clarify what they want which is the special effects but it also takes away why you're watching the special effects it's the thing that barker knows right it's not the monsters it's what they do when they're not being monsters it's the arguments they have amongst themselves it's yeah like, the, the community of it all i mean yeah. and just so i think what really stood out to me oddly was there was more backstory with the cops opposed to them just being goons who show That's up true. With, like machine guns and blow everything out it was like Oh, look at this this A and B status relationship between, you know, the sheriff and his kind of right hand um, and all of that odd sexual energy, first of all. But but second of all, this it was way more uh, were way more realized characters, even though that they were basically, you know, ridiculous Batman villains <laughs> um, in the Barker sense. Um, uh, yeah, they have purpose. That was what stood out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the priest too. I barely remember the priest from the theater. Yeah, version. exactly. Yes. I, I, that's exactly right. He was, yeah, truly a full character. My God. Um, He's like the most Barker character of all of them too. Uh, yeah. like I realized watching the, the two hour cut again, just the other night, it's like, oh no, no, that's like, there's so much of Barker in there. It's the person who yeah. wants to see more, but can't handle it. I, it's, I don't think it's Barker himself, but I think it's his favorite kind of character to write. Right. Like Tempted. that love. Yeah. The Lovecraftian yeah. attraction where you're, you know, no one has ever seen this and lived. Well, it's like, I still want right. to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, it's a, it's a colorful one, man. I'm, 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 I'm glad it exists. I wonder what that process was to have your movie butchered that many years ago when it comes out and God knows, you know, what happened. Um, uh, and if I were Barker, I'd be like, well, hell, do I embark in movies following and go through, you know, go through with like, did he have 
more or less control after the fact. Um, it was amazing. He got these movies made in the first place. But, you know, did he go back in the edit room years later? I, I'm, I'm curious about the, you know, the kind of oral history of it all. Like what what that process was for him to go like, oh, I'm going to revisit all this footage. Or was it what it originally was and that was originally locked away and originally preserved and now newly released? Yeah. Uh, from what I understand, his first cut of the film was two and three quarter hours. The two-hour version is what they delivered to Morgan Creek uh, contractually. And then Morgan Creek said, no, we want it even shorter. And they just lopped out even more stuff. So wow. the cuts that have been made to the two-hour version, there's some there's some rushed introductions and it moves really quickly. I was surprised how quickly, like, I don't remember Boone getting to Midian that fast, but yeah, like, it was, obviously it he did. Very it's like, fast. It's first act stuff. Um, yeah. and that moves very, very, very quickly. And I think also the Cronenberg material was moved up to, to start faster, to just pull us right in. But as a result, yeah. the, the both versions, the two hour and the 99 minute cuts are both like headlong rushes into the special stuff, into the monster stuff. Mm. And the, the real world doesn't exist like it's just something Boone leaves right it's uh, yeah it's it's the bar the police station and the jail cell you know and then it's a, you're, you're just kind of you're just kind of in it which I which I appreciate I I also I'll say I I just well I certainly didn't know who Cronenberg was eons ago but I, was, I remember as a kid yeah. even being fascinated by that character and not even knowing necessarily what a psychologist was or that relationship this therapist relationship and this was like is he Look, just watching it now, I still, I still didn't quite wrap my head around the plot. Um, their kind of backstory is like, was he such a such a volatile, dangerous guy that, you know, they, he was assigned a therapist and this, you know, this this evil character put himself in this position of authority so that he could manipulate these killers to do and copycat their, you know, um, their murders to scratch the serial killer itch. But anyway, I. Uh, uh, I really loved now as an adult man, knowing who Cronenberg is, knowing yeah. that Possessor is out, you know, his son's work um, and appreciating the fact that here's a director, you know, on a, on a similar path, dare I say that I want to go on like, oh, my God, here's a cool genre director who also like occasionally would jump in front of the camera for his his filmmaking buddies in the genre and yeah. play a fun villain. Like what a dream that would be, you know? Um, it's what I love about Lee Winnell popping up in, you know, the Insidious franchise here and there really, you know, popping up in anything that he does. Like, wow, what a dream. You can craft this whole mythology and then kind of jump in front of and, and, and behind. But anyway, I just, I really reveled in that relationship and that all those scenes because they were stretched you know they were longer now just kind of fully kind of getting it holy shit that's uh great yeah i seeing that film in toronto seeing cronenberg appear that's a different response the whole room is sort of giggling from the second you see him yeah but oh, it's wow. also it's so clear that he's enjoying himself like the the little bits of body english he puts on his dialogue without moving his body like his stillness becomes a running gag the way he's just yeah. always like ramrod straight and yeah, I assume it's just because he's, quiet. yeah, he's trying not to give anything away or yeah. the, this being a Clive Barker film, he probably just has a raging erection to murder people. Right. He's right, afraid right. of giving that away. Yeah. But that lovely little moment of um, there will be more killings. I promise. Like 
Yeah, that's just so yeah. much fun. Just kind of just, just you know, this slipping in a quick murder in a cop car, like daring himself to do that while the cops are rushing Midian. Anyway, it was uh, that's right. It was just so fun to revisit. It's got this weird place in horror history where it basically disappeared for fifteen years, right? Like it was just gone. Yeah. Um, Barker kind of disowned it publicly. Like, I think it hurt him to do it, but there was definitely a sense when it happened that this wasn't his movie and something had gone terribly wrong and he stepped away and it was what, five or six years before Lord of Illusions. And he was just off writing because he was doing that too. Like he was churning out these gigantic books, um, deep mythological everythings. um, And then to see it come back and realize like he didn't, there's no digital trickery. He didn't he didn't sweeten it on the return. He just rebuilt mm. the thing that was his. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. feel like there's a kind of dignity in that in a weird yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. It's it's not you know egoistic. It's just uh, here's what it was originally intended to be. I mean, you know, he didn't um, he didn't add ET and spruce up the CGI and the spaceships. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Uh. <laughs> Not that, not that that would be a good idea for anyone to do. Right. No, please don't do that. Yeah. So George, was it always a part of your development? Did you keep revisiting it or did it, was it replaced by other things or? I'm sure it was definitely replaced by other things, but there was definitely a time you said it came out in 1990. That's mm. so interesting. It did. Right. Yeah. So there's something interesting about that year. And I mean, those, I'd say those three years through 93 or maybe 89, 90, 90 through 92 these like really gritty tonally um kind of bleak you know uh uh full moon style kind of puppet master films but also like dark man and also uh nightbreed i'm obsessed with dark man newly obsessed with dark man but there was something about 1990 i guess where as i'm coming into my passion for comic books um, I think set off by my love for Batman, you know, he's my first superhero love. So it, I didn't start with colorful, bright Superman. I started with Batman, anything, right. anything, anything that resembled him then into, you know, then into, uh, to dark man and, and is, you know, the, the darker, the better, um, venom. Um, right. uh, I, I, I was, it, 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 it felt like a perfect lockstep intro to kind of deepen that, um, uh, that material darker, you know, explore darker material and just kind of, you know, stumbling on Nightbreed. I think I, I can't remember if I got the VHS or stumbled it, you know, uh, upon it, you know, via cable or whatever. But when it was available, whether it was a constant VHS rental or uh, or always on TV, but I do remember a period of, I'm sure it was, you know, that those the the early '90s. It was where I'd watch it extremely frequently and it became a big part of like my everyday imagination. It was like, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends. It was a chubby little kid, you know, running around my, um, my house uh, with a cap gun pretending to either shoot monsters or be out in the, again, the clubhouse or looking out into the woods and picturing like, you know, my, I have monster friends out here. <laughs> um, it, it, I think it was like hugely influential on me. There was also something funny I realized the other day when I was like, tweeting about my loving rewatch, I definitely, not only was I the kid whose parents let him have cap guns because he loved, you know, um, RoboCop. And um, I don't know, it was just, just loved, loved cap guns and toys before, you know, 
poor kids would get shot at for having them on them. And you had to, you know, color them neon green. But I, um, I also had a bunch of like toy knives and like all kinds of like little props and things. And so I definitely having watched Cronenberg's character packed up not only a few real kitchen knives, but my toy knives and put them in like a little briefcase or like <laughs> Fisher Price toolbox, like acting like the psychotherapist from yeah. Nightbreed and and walking around the house. I remember they that the, my you know plastic toolbox couldn't withstand the weight of it and that they spilled it on the floor. Thank God I didn't cut my foot off. But if I saw my kid like you know reenacting uh, reenacting Cronenberg, I don't know if I'd be down you know be like stoked or be terrified. But I. Again, it just it, it was a it was a major major influence in all in in all the ways, and so yeah, I think it probably got replaced by uh, oh I don't know um, by the mid nineties. I was I was probably enjoying um, you know the the early Robin Williams stuff and um, you know going into lighter fare and you know uh, realizing some you know. Um, my love for the uh, the older classics as I got a little older, Cuckoo's Nest, anything that was like you know more colorful but somehow bearably digestible for a young kid. Actually, Cuckoo's Nest is sort of an interesting like it. There's a through line there somehow. Like there the, is the emotional yeah. highs and the and yeah the, the expressive yeah. The nature community. of it. Right. Yeah. It's just as colorful. You could, yeah, they could, they could be in the same, it's the same personalities, you know, there was just no ratchet to, to pull them back. Yeah. But yeah, it was hugely influential. I think to, I think to this day, I, I yearn for a, um, and ur- the urgency in a plot that I could explore as a director that warranted, you know, something as colorful as a bunch of monsters that live under a graveyard that are in danger from this entity where there's also a serial killer, where there's also this kind of lead who sort of becomes a beast, like yeah. an excuse to throw in, you know, um, everything, but the kitchen sink into some idea or some concept or some execution. I think again, Nightbreed, it lit that fire in me. It's what I love about, there's very few movies that can do it now, but one of the things I love about like 10 Cloverfield Lane is not only a, bunker paranoia movie but also a serial killer cat and mouse movie but also an alien invasion movie (laughs) with this um incredible action sequence in the end um and the allusion to a greater cosmic superhero rising in her like yellow and red duck you know rain slicker um uh vinyl costume so um yeah i i i admire and i'm crazy envious of any concept that can throw in multiple ideas multiple villains multiple production and design elements um spaceships and tornadoes you know if you can like combine some great you know with a serial killer in the mix if you can combine all the things i think it all you know it all was all inspired by watching this movie in nightbreed that was just like all the things i loved as a kid you know monsters and, and the like but there was an urgency to it he was really saying something. Yeah, I wonder if it is, if that's what it is. It's like the the mashup thing that lets you sneak in something more meaningful, right? Because you're giving people something they already think they recognize, and then you just thread mm. in something else. I mean, Scare Me does that too. It's it's not what it's about, right? Like it is about something very specific, 
But yeah. it's up to us to figure that out through the stories and through who's in charge and who's feeling menaced and the power dynamics at play. And yeah, Nightbreed, like Nightbreed is in a way a story about a guy finding his people and leaving his old mm. self behind and coming mm. out in a new form. Although he still gets to be like, if, if like, I'm trying to figure it out, because I, I also am the middle-aged straight man who shouldn't be psychoanalyzing Clive Barker, but then again, mm-hmm. I've spent 30 years reading him. And there's yeah. something about like the fact that Boone and Laurie stay together, even after he's embraced yeah. and then he makes her like him, that felt like a dodge in a way to keep Boone from fully mm-hmm. entering Midian and becoming who he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like he grounds mm-hmm. himself in his old life by bringing his girlfriend along. But didn't in the two hour, didn't she die and then kind of join him? She or kills herself he... so that he will, or she mortally wounds herself so that she, he'll bring her back. Right, uh, right. But so to do that, it's almost like to... she made the jump. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. He, right she right, gives right. him no choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so maybe he would have, he would have stayed, you know, with his new community as it were. Yeah, um, but it's a really weird story because it sort of reads as coming out and then it just refuses to in the end. Um, it reestablishes, God help me, this is so pretentious. It reestablishes this heteronormative relationship that defines Boone, even though now he's yeah. got a new name and he's, but he's also kind of dressed like a leather daddy. Like there's that, that thing never goes away. Yeah. It's yeah. always there. And yeah, I'd love to talk to Barker about it now and see, you know, how he might rework it. I mean, it's right. Cool where apparently there's a Hellraiser remake working out there somewhere. Uh, I refuse to accept it. I mean, I'm sure it's possible, but... Isn't it David Gordon Green or am I is he, crazy? Is he actually doing it? No, it, it couldn't be David Gordon Green. He's so immersed. I don't... It, it's something. It's it's some... Somebody's actually, like an auteur is working on it? Yeah. Someone you would recognize? Oh, wow. Oh, wait. I, I bet we can... Yeah. yeah um, I was going to say. It, look it up. It's, it's Hellraiser, Hellraiser HBO. Uh... It is uh, David Gordon Green. I was right. Huh? No shit. Yeah, it's Nobody David Gordon Green. Me anything. I mean, yeah. I really liked what he did with Halloween, so I guess I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. But and then, well, and the Nightbreed. Uh, even it's Nightbreed reboot is oh oh okay this is cool so that's Mike Daughtry. Oh really? Yeah, or Doherty. Who did yeah. um who did uh, yeah Darty who did uh, Trick or Treat and Krampus Krampus and Godzilla yeah yeah and I th- and I think I think Mike I think Michael is gay I don't want to speak out of turn but I think he I think he is I think he's queer and huh. taking on Nightbreed as as and I think it's for I think it's for sci-fi as I mean, a TV series yeah I guess yeah. I just there's so. Okay, yeah, actually, you know what? If you're going to remake Nightbreed, television would actually work in this case. Yeah, I mean, there's so, all the different characters and backgrounds and former lives, and you could kind of pull your, you know, your six feet under that leads to their demise to get them there and the like. Um, it, it could be, could be really, could be really interesting. Yeah, yeah and you've got, uh, is it An- Andy Machete doing, um, he's helming uh, the howling. <laughs> there's a howling? Yeah, oh my I god! So. Everything yeah. I watched as a teenager is going to come back. I and know, bother I know. me. Oh, I, the only thing we need is Pumpkinhead, which there was a rumor at some point. And <laughs> if I can just shotgun Dark Man, that's all I care about. I know it's different territory, but oh no, you could totally make Dark Man work now. Like Dark Man is maybe the one property from the '90s that updates almost painlessly. 
because yeah. every objection, I, I think about this every now and then, every objection you could have about bringing a past property into the present, Darkman, because of the concept, you could still get away with it. Cell phones aren't a problem. Computers yeah. aren't a problem. Facial recognition is useless. Like all the, right. all the obstacles are gone or right. rather right. they're still there and they could work. Right. And yeah, I mean, all of the, uh, all of the wonderful allegory um, about uh, appearances and beauty culture and the like, but also isolation and anger, yep. and brutal anger in the face of ostensibly endless, relentless, stupid levels of evil, um, where, yeah. you know, where it feels like it feels uh, uh, totally futile um, to combat in any way that any other way than like breaking bones and lobbing people off of, you know, skyscrapers, which is what dark man was. He was operating purely out of like, like traumatized id anger. Yeah. <laughs> and which is, you know, how, how I think a lot of us have felt being at home for a year and, you know, having all these restrictions and not seeing our friends and not having normalcy and banging our head against the wall. So. Yeah. The I think it's time. Uncontrollable rage. I get it. I feel it. I would watch that. <laughs> yeah. Who would you cast? Would you like what who's your dream dark man? Uh I think um if it were uh if it were a the way I'd want to do it, uh, a reboot that maybe wasn't an origin story but came at it from a nice unique perspective. Um and not necessarily took place in the nineties. I'll say, mm -hmm. I think, you know, after Pedro Pascal has been unavailable, I'd probably go to someone like Lee Pace who, ha who yeah, is yeah. known for these kind of muted sort of tempered characters. But I think to see him play big and angry, but also kind of tortured could be kind of wonderful. I think he would be great. Yeah. Um, Maybe it's just because we were talking about it. And I'm I'm perfectly happy to cut all of this if you want to keep it. Oh, no, no, for no. Yourself, no it's, but it's great. Maybe it's because we were talking about him before, but I was thinking about Thomas Middleditch for some reason. Oh, my God. He'd be, he'd, Cause, yeah. Because you wouldn't buy it, right? Like, you'd have to you'd have to fight for it. He'd have to really convince you. But I think he'd be. Right. It'd, it'd be like uh, the, the fight for Michael Keaton's casting. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't that be the wonderful surprise? If, yeah, uh, kind of squirrely intensity. Yeah, right. Right, which is why another halt and catch fire. Um, was it Scoot McNeary? Oh, McNeary'd be good. A cast member came to me. Yeah. yeah, but you need that. You need you need an actor who is so like Thomas. I mean, you need someone who's so bold, and it, it and has no ego about kind of going all out, like a Sam Rockwell. You know, someone who's just like, oh, I will, I'll throw my voice out. I'll be physical. I'll put my fist through the wall. But also, you know, I can also be tortured, do the goofy cry and do the yeah. fight stuff and, and everything else. It's a, it's a hell of a, it's a hell of a character and a fun part, but it, you know, it's, it, there was a great article, the Hollywood reporter put out about the 30 year history of it. You know, Liam Neeson talking about how he really wanted to take it on because he wanted to work with prosthetics, but you're also, you know, you're, you're a face, you're a famous face. He wasn't famous at the time. It was his first role, but you're a famous face taking on this part, uh, um, in prosthetics, you know, you're, you're working in heavy makeup. That's, you know, hours yeah. and hours of your day in the chair. Yeah. And you couldn't do it with CG. I mean, it'd just be cheating. No, no. Although I got to say, even today, Aaron Eckhart's two face looks real, still real good. That was so 
incredible. That technology must have come a long way since, you know, whatever that was, 08. Yeah, that's true. 13 years later. But I I would want the actor to have the makeup on. It's like not like to come back to yeah, Nightbreed. Oh, oh, like you need to no see the, yeah, these people the in these suits, the weight of yeah, it. Yeah, and, and by nature of, uh, you know, the, the skin melting off the face and everything else. So that's also a wonderful thing about, you know, roping it back to Nightbreed. I wish I had the makeup artist's um, uh, name off the top of the dome, but the the creature design and the practical effects, just the practical effects, just like smorgasbord, right? It's... Yeah. yeah, it was um, it's imaginary concepts, right? I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm reading the uh, the text on the Blu-ray, but it's too small for my contact lenses to make out. Oh, let's see. Well, makeup department: Gary Bunn, Mark Coulier, Robbie Drake, Chris Fitzgerald. Oh, wow! Chris Fitzgerald worked on Attack the Block with Robbie Drake. Ah, there's and a Gary Bunn did Solo a star. So it's like some there's some some real deal folks have been doing it for a while. Hell Hellraiser two hairstylist Heather Jones. Bob Keen does that, that ring a bell? That's pretty cool. Who's that? Bob Keen does that ring a bell? I'm pulling my own brain and like I'm pulling into the Fangoria issues stacked in my brain. I'm sure I've seen his name in a Fangoria here or there. Yeah, that's maybe, the maybe in like God, uh, um, all these great uh, these great documentaries like what's the is it uh, heart of darkness that great shutter documentary about all the 80s horror that this like four hours of, of, uh, of oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> my god yeah shutter has been endless fun shutter's been an absolute boon hasn't it it's just it's so yeah. it's so great to go through the tiles and see all the things i remember watching on vhs and kind of figure out what would they look like if you could actually see the effects without the the yeah. noise from the video and yeah yeah return yeah. to them it's just yeah uh, you know growing up as a horror kid it was it was really nice to um to see the boom of all this stuff coming back again and if the remakes are the price we have to pay for the original mm -hmm. resurfacing i guess it's worth it but mm -hmm. yeah every now and then like a dark man remake could be a lot of fun <laughs> yeah i i i think so i think we're i think we're ready i'm ready <laughs> How do you convince people that uh, my, you know, the big question is like, could you, could you do something that isn't an origin story that would stand on its own? And I think, you know, you could do all the exposition. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, I don't think you could, I don't think you should reboot it. I think, I think um, I'd be more interested in a sequel. I'd be more interested in seeing something that was 30 years later and what that would look like. Um, and, uh, and uh uh, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you proceed and convince, convince the, um, the fans of it all to come out for something that's, you know, it's an obscure superhero. It'd be like, you know, it'd be, it'd be like making a phantom movie, uh, or the shadow, but right. making, you know, the shadow. it's like, Oh, like, yeah, we kind of remember, but not as much as like Captain America. Um, yeah. You'd almost you have get to, away with it. you'd almost have to do what Shyamalan did in split. Right, like have him be part of the movie, mm. but only reveal it at the very end. Mm, yeah, and, you know, the, right. the thirteen percent of the audience that knows who that is will go apeshit, and everybody else will be like, "Yeah, that was a pretty good movie." What What do you mean? There's another one? Yeah, well, that's the thing is like, what What, what happened with people who watched Split who didn't know what Unbreakable was? There was a lot of confusion and, in my theater. Right. Yeah, people were just like, "Oh, I guess the movie's over," and then 
it was like scattered throughout the theater were Diet Coke two liter bottles with Mentos in them. And they all went at the same time, but they were, you know, like there was one in every 50 yeah. seats. Yeah. And people just yeah. lost their minds, but it was a tiny percentage of that crowd. Yeah. He got his trilogy. He really yeah. wanted that trilogy. He wanted it. He wanted it 20 years ago and now he got it. That's a fantastic movie. Unbreakable is oh, so, yeah, it's phenomenally good. I mean, Split was pretty good too. It's problematic for the mental illness um, community, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a very well made, contained film for sure. My God, James McAvoy is so so great in it. But yeah, I just it's just so funny to think about the um, everyone who was left out. Yeah, no, it's weird. I just yeah, just the idea of doing that with a dark man movie, where he's sort of somebody like he's an executive, but we don't really catch it. He's in three or four scenes, and then at the very end, pulls right. his face he's off burned. and walks off. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and he looks oh. normal. You know, like it's it's an Anthony Hopkins guy, just sort of in the right. background, getting things done, being fatherly towards someone else, and then at the very end, for whatever reason, Francis McDormand's character shows up, and he goes yeah. off with her. Oh, right. Right, exactly. Liam Neeson shows up in uh, Irishman de-aging makeup. Why not? Uh, He's got yeah, masks. Right. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah, that's right. That that's guy exactly looks like right. a young Liam Neeson. Yes, yes, yeah. I, yes, he does. Yes, he does. Yeah. Oh, it's I, bubbling. It I'd watch that. Five o'clock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's melting off his face. It's, uh, it must be up to the ninety nine minutes or quitting yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, that's your title, yeah. quitting time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's Dark a man road colon movie about a troubled woman, a troubled paramedic, but it just ends with a dark man origin. What a <laughs> what a bold swing. I would watch um, that. Yeah, I would too. I don't know. See, I, now I, I know like I have that. to cut this because we have to preserve the secret. <laughs> but to to get back to to Nightbreed and the and the prosthetics, like the natural, if you remake it, you'd have yeah. to use that. You can you can sort of see stuff like you know, like American gods where they've gone for the same aesthetic where the world is filled with creatures and we just have to stumble through them. And and like Neil Gaiman and Clive Barker are sort of mirror images of each other in a weird way. Mm. But but there's something about Gaiman's work that keeps it from playing in the same way. And I don't know what it is. Mm. Like you have to go full on Coraline and create a completely invented artificial world. Whereas with Barker, I think he can make an easier sell of the real world filled with horror or at right. least something about his vision lends itself to working as movies and TV. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Well, Not- he's done it from the get-go. You know what you're signing up for if you're watching Barker. You're, you know, so it's uh, uh, Neil Gaiman. I know, I know less about. He did Sandman. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. Good Omens with Terry Pratchett. Yeah. Right. He's having he's having such a moment now. So it's almost like Barker. I think there was a, I read an article recently about this. They're like Barker's about to have a big theoretically a big catapult that's like where is that this books of blood is getting i think it's hulu show yes i heard about that okay so yeah but there's there's this there's this you know this mine of barker material there's one one store is fascinating even i don't know barely know anything about the premise but ecto kid there's like a kid who is like sort of a superhero but he can i i, I assume navigate you know, the real world and the underworld and he's, you know, half ghost, half human or something to that effect. And I thought, wow, what a cool, what cool color. I think that was Barker. I'm almost positive. And that's just one of his many, you know, um, uh, one of the many characters in the many worlds in his genius brain. So I hope, I hope he has his moment the way that 
Stephen King does, just like I think that Nathan Ballingrid is due his day as well. You know, another author who I absolutely love. This guy wrote, uh, you know, Hulu did a show called Monsterland based on his book, oh, okay, um, yeah. North American Lake Monsters. But I think there's, I mean, everything I read of his just knocks my, just, just take, just knocks me out, out of my shoes. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to see if Barker's going to have his, um, you know, his, his moment. I assume with you know HBO taking on Hellraiser, if David Gordon Green, if that's a real thing, and you know, um, be pretty fa- pretty fascinating. Yeah, I'm I'm in. I guess hesitantly because the original yeah. is just such a special place in my heart. But then they made what seven or eight sequels, which, nah. Let's see what happens if yeah. someone really gets back to the material. Same with Halloween, right? That you can actually. I was like. I, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. I think I was like uh, uh, one week ago years old when I realized that Scott Derrickson directed one of those like Hellraiser sequels into yeah. the, you know, the sixes or sevens. Was it Inferno? Because um, that's the only good one. <laughs> I wouldn't I think, be surprised I th- if it was his. Think, I think it is. I think it is. And he, um, you know, he's, he's got great stuff going now. What a, what a cool genre career. Um, yeah. I'm double checking this because I'm pretty sure. And I wouldn't, because I, I, I wouldn't have known who he was. Yep, it was Inferno. It's the one I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was that, five, six, seven? I think it was six. But wow. you know who starred in that, right? Craig Sheffer. Who? Oh, really? Boon himself, yeah. That's weird. Hey, full circle. <laughs> yeah. Full circle. Well, there we did it. <laughs> and I was you worried about it. getting out of this one. Yeah, right. Because I was afraid I'd just wow. keep going. Uh, okay, well, that's a perfect button for that. Um, the, the actual final question of, of the podcast is always, is there anything from the movie you chose that infects your own work? So, like, is there a specific pull from Nightbreed that you used in your own stuff? Or is it just more of an aesthetic? I think again, philosophically, that idea of bringing in multiple elements, creatures, that combination of you know practical effects and ideas. So it's a it's a it's a gigantic answer or response to your question. But the idea of being able to bring in and and make work several different say characters, concepts, and colors and um create something that actually is says something is is a is a uh it's a journey i want to go on and figure out it's 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 part of what i want to do and make as a filmmaker i want to make rewatchable fun stuff in the genre or in the genre realm that takes you on a ride but that has you know if i can get away with monsters that scared me a bit of a message and bad people, you know, and the, the commentary on the evil of the world. So I, I think I ultimately took a lot from Nightbreed also with, you know, again, my love of practical effects and practical make- makeup effects and creature effects, you know, my time, even at college humor making, you know, videos for the internet, I still push to do stuff where I were prosthetics, you know, in, in another world, I'm, I'm Doug Jones. Um, I love his career. Um, that is the, that is Guillermo's go-to creature performer. Am I wrong? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He's in almost everything uh, and he's here all the time in Toronto for, uh, discovery for Star Trek. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. There you go. I have to chase him. Yeah. What a, he sounds like a lovely, lovely dude, but, but anyhow, yeah, I think that's, um, I think, I think Nightbreed gave me everything. I think it gave me everything. I think I took everything from Nightbreed. I've learned quite a bit. Well, that's... Thank you, Mr. Barker. 
My thanks to Josh Rubin, whose new movie, Werewolves Within, is in theaters right now and arriving on IFC Unlimited and Apple TV this Friday, July 2nd. If you like Scare Me, you're really going to like Werewolves Within. Thanks also to Kyla Heyer. She knows what she did. You can find Josh on Twitter at Josh Rubin, all one word, and you can find Clive Barker's Nightbreed on Blu-ray and DVD from Shout Factory and streaming on Shudder and Hoopla. Also, it turns out that Hellraiser reboot is now in the hands of David Bruckner, who made The Signal and the Ritual, so give it a year. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I host the Now What podcast and write the weekly Now Streaming newsletter. And I also write about movies, you know, regular style. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay home, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your shot when you can. Happy Canada Day, happy 4th of July, have a nice weekend. I'll see you next time.